Okay, um, so we are continuing our sermon series about being an emotionally mature community, and um, today we're going to talk about self uh, being a self-aware community. Yeah, this is me and the microphone. I'm not getting along. Okay, so um, I'm starting the sermon with uh, one key assumption, and you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but my guess is that for any of us, if we think about it, what is going on? Um, my guess is, for all of us, that of the relationships that you're in, if you think about all of your relationships, your family, the people that you live with, your uh, work colleagues, your friends, um, people that, like you know in other areas in your life at church, and um, etc., that there might be some conflict with one or more of those people. Anyone? Anybody? Anybody at all? <laughs> um, I've got some conflict in the relationships that I'm in. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about um, being self-aware in those conflicts. And one of the key points, I'm just going to give you the spoiler now, is that we want to, like the ideal, a great situation in a relationship is when we can be in conflict with others and we can stay connected. However, I want to offer the caveat that if you are in an abusive relationship, like if someone is committing a crime against you, um, this advice doesn't count, okay? So please don't. It, was, it is my great fear that I'll preach this great sermon. It'll be so good for everyone who's thinking about um, the relationships that they have that are kind of healthy, mostly healthy, could be healthy, but we still have some conflicts and some things to work through. And then one person walks out and leaves and says, oh, that abusive relationship, and then I guess I have to stay connected because... That's what I heard at church. So um, we're not talking about that, okay? So I just want to like say that at the beginning um, so that I can preach the rest of this in freedom, knowing that I'm not going to lead anybody astray into staying in a, like a dangerous um, relationship. Please don't do that. Um, okay, so with that, I'm going to find my little clicky thing, and we're going to talk about how relationships provide an ideal environment for growth. So um, in relationships, we can find support, and love and laughter we can also find friction and diversity and it is in within the relationships in my life that i am most likely to discover the gaps in my own emotional maturity with strangers like when i meet somebody for the first time i'm pretty good at holding it together i can put on kind of like a happy face and i can come across like a normal mature, grown woman, you know, who is in control of her faculties. But the people, the closer that I get, the people that I'm closest to um, find um, quickly are able, like, just to hone in on, like, where are the missing gaps? Like, where are the places where Kara is immature, where she's not keeping it together, where emotions aren't matching situations, there's overreactions or there's underreactions, there are problems. I discover all of those in the context of relationships. Our best-case scenario is that those conflicts do not diminish connection. But maybe a little bit more typical when we run into conflict in relationships is, and maybe you've thought this, I can change him or I can change her. I will change this person. They need to change. They need to improve. We're having a problem, me and my spouse, me and my person, my colleague at work, me and my friend, and obviously they are the problem, <laughs> and they need to fix some things, and they need to get it together. In fact, and if you're like me, you might find yourself even thinking, I can, I can help them. I can advise this person on the things that they need to change. I can help identify exactly what the problems are, and I can give them good advice on what to do to overcome the challenges that clearly they struggle with, not me, 
them. However, there's another personality type. I'm a little bit less, um, I, I don't get tempted on this other path quite so often, but I understand a lot of people do, which is you might also find yourself really blaming yourself. You know, like I've got a conflict in my relationship and it's all my fault. If I was a better daughter, if I was a better friend, if I was better at my job, this wouldn't be a problem. I'm really the problem in this family. I'm the black sheep of this family. Everybody thinks so, and I think so too. And, you know, maybe if I just went away, then everybody else would be much better off without me. That can be kind of the other one. So we can be tempted toward two directions um, in conflict that um, neither one of them is going to result in growth. Either that's blaming and shifting responsibility onto the other person. They should fix it or um, taking all of the blame ourselves and saying, I should fix it, I need to address this, um, I need to address this problem, it's all my fault. Um, I've been reading a book lately called Growing Yourself Up. Um, <laughs> my feeling about this book is zero stars, do not recommend, because I read it and I get really uncomfortable. Um, but, but it's actually, I think that's a really good thing. I think it's a good thing to read books that make us feel like, oh no, maybe I'm doing something wrong, and like, somebody knows. <laughs> Like, like, it's like a common enough mistake that like, maybe like this is a trend that lots of people do and I'm not even unique or interesting in the ways that I'm messing up my relationships, like I'm just a part of the trend. And this is something I've discovered lately with Growing Yourself Up, it's by Jenny Brown. She has a PhD and um, one of the things that she talks about in her book that I find really, really helpful is she talks about um, being a self and like letting the other person in the relationship be a self, like we're both whole people and really recognizing that the conflict that's happening is happening in this interaction between us. So it's not all them, and it's not all me, but the conflict is something that both of us need to work on. So um, let's, though, not put all of our trust in Janie Brown, although I think she's great and I really like her books, but let's see what Jesus has to say about, sorry, I'm so sorry to sound, guys. I keep messing with this microphone and changing the volume. Um, let's see what Jesus has to say about what we can do when we have conflict with somebody that, uh, that we're close to. So this is Matthew chapter 7, and I always try to point the clicker at the screen, which is not where it senses it. Okay, so here we go. Matthew chapter 7. So this is the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is addressing the crowds, and at this part of his um, sermon, he says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? However, or sorry, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Oh, and that's, the, that's, and that's where we're stopping. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> it's like awkward. Let's pray. <laughs> we need to pray. Holy Spirit, come. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the relationships that we have. Lord, I ask that you would visit with us, that you would be present among us this morning, and that you would be the one who really guides our thoughts, that you would be the one who focuses our attention on your agenda this morning. Lord, would you speak to us about the places where we're hurting or where things aren't working? And would you really empower us with your wisdom and your guidance and your direction? Because we know that as we follow you, we'll thrive. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are all still growing up. Matthew's solution to conflict is to focus on yourself. 
Um, I was talking about the sermon as I was getting ready for it with Josh earlier this week, and I kept making the same mistake again and again, which I think is really telling. I kept talking about in the passage, um, help uh, get the speck out of your own eye, so then you can help your brother with the plank in his eye. And Josh was like, no, 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 the plank is in your eye, and the speck is in your brother's eye. And I was, right, that's right. Plank in my eye, speck in his eye. And then like we'd be talking, and I'd be like, because we have to get the speck out of our own eye so that we can help with the plank in our brother's eye. And Josh was like, no, like, it's backwards. The, the plank is in your eye, the speck is in your brother's eye. Like it happened like four times, you guys. Like I'm just so committed to the idea that like maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not very wrong. It's my brother. I don't actually have a brother, but you know, my hypothetical brother, my symbolic brother is always the problem in the other person. So clearly I'm on this side of like, I need to change the people around me. I can help them. Or maybe if I'm being super, super honest, um, I can control them. <laughs> um, in some ways, I think Jesus' advice can come across like my, my gut reaction is like, Jesus, it's like a little bit insensitive because like what if it is the plank in their eye and just the speck in my eye? Like what about that scenario, Jesus? And it's just so interesting that Jesus doesn't, he doesn't give like an alternative. He doesn't say like, well, you know, if, if they're really in the wrong and you're a little bit in the wrong, then do this. If they're a little bit in the wrong and you are really in the wrong, do that. He doesn't. He just like addresses one scenario and tells us to focus on our own stuff. Essentially, I think Jesus is kind of saying like, like something or agreeing with something that I feel like I've heard over and over and over, particularly as a woman. And this is like almost, I think, a cultural joke of like, you can't change him. You know, have you ever seen that like come up in like romantic comedies and stuff? Like boy meets girl, boy and girl fall in love. Girl says, oh, you know, he'd be a perfect guy except for this, but I can change him. You know what I mean? And like, like then the tragedy ensues and nobody changes. And this is just like the reality of relationships is like, we can't change other people. And um, I'm sorry, guys, I feel like you can't change her isn't quite the same like cultural like joke. Like I haven't heard like, oh, you can't change her ever. But, um, but I think maybe, maybe that's also true. Maybe I just don't travel in circles of dudes that are all encouraging each other by saying, you're not going to change your wife. But I certainly have been in circles with women where it's like, you're not going to change your husband. We have to figure out a different solution to this problem because changing the other person is not the thing that's going to work. And I think Jesus is saying that same thing here. You're not going to change it. Like, let's focus on yourself. So, um, so like, how, how do we do that? I find myself with this question of, like, how do I not try to fix the other person? Like, how does that, how does that, what are the mechanics of that? Like, this is not my natural state, like, not trying to, like, change or fix or address. Because, like, don't we, we all want to be our best selves. I try to get all innocent and, like, play this innocent act of, like, we all want to be our best selves. Like, we want things to be good. And if there's a conflict or something's bad, surely this person also wants it to be better. And so I'm just offering some help here. This is a, a helpful thing that I'm doing, right, God? And I don't feel like God, um, he, just doesn't, he just doesn't put up with that. I feel like Jesus surely had like a bunch of tattletellers around him all the time, right? Like if I was a disciple, I would have been that. Like I've got like the, like the hall monitor genes. I would have been going to Jesus all the time, telling on the other disciples, like, did you see what Peter, did you hear what Judas said? <gasps> Jesus, you have to get involved and fix this because they're all breaking the rules all the time. And I can hear Jesus in this being like, Stop focusing on the others. <laughs> like, you need to fix your own stuff. And I just, I find that so, like, I believe it's true. 
I've gotten the message, like, you can't change other people, you have to focus on yourself. But, like, when push comes to shove, I find that I'm very inexperienced in, like, how to actually do that, particularly in the context of relationships. And so then enter Jenny Brown. And she talks about relationships in a way that I find really helpful because she says, you know, if you think about a relationship between two people, like, let's think about a relationship between you and me. So there's me, and I'm a person, and there's you, and you're a person. And I am not you, and you are not me. We are different. And like that is something that maybe doesn't seem amazingly earth-shattering, but it is earth-shattering when we're babies, right? Like when you're a baby, like uh, just a natural part of development is like me and my mom are the same. And like the realization that I'm not the same as my mom, that we're two distinct entities, is something that like, like that insight washes over us in waves as we grow up, you know, and our parents do things that we don't expect or, you know, they, 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 our interests stop being aligned probably when we're teenagers and we want to stay out late and they don't want us to stay out late. But that just, like, we are different, we are not the same. Like, that can be a really helpful thing, I think, to, as a place to start of, like, we're not the same person. You are you and I'm me. But our relationship is a thing that we share. It's like this space in between us and both of us offer like offer things to this relationship by like we we both say words to one another and that forms the environment of the relationship maybe we give gifts to each other or we spend time with one another and like we just we share like when we're both together like this shared thing like this is what our relationship is and i can't change what you put into the relationship but i can change what i put into the relationship and so by me changing what I offer, it will make this environment different, this space in between us. It won't change you, but you might adapt to the way that I've made a change to our environment. And that's the thing that I can focus on. I can focus on myself, and when I focus on myself and I fix my own things, then I change the environment between the two of us, and then you'll adapt to this new, hopefully healthier thing. If I change for the worse, you'll adapt to that too, and probably our relationship will get worse. Like if I suddenly, out of the blue, became a very competitive person, I know this is totally unexpected, you might be surprised. <laughs> this is a joke because I have a little bit of a history. <laughs> but um, but if I, when I, when I have grown, I actually I think I've gotten less competitive as I've aged, and as I've been able to like take a step back and say, I'm not gonna push for my way, and I can celebrate other people's success, and you know, I'm not going to be jealous or struggle less with envy, like I'm going to celebrate my friends and stuff. That's changed the environment in some of my friendships, and it's made them a lot healthier. It's made my friends feel a little more safe and more celebrated, and they feel more loved, and then they love me more, and then like things like grow and get better, even though maybe I'm the only one who actually changed in this particular example. Okay, So um, let me give you another example of um, how it can look when we focus just on ourselves. And so this is one from work. Um, I have a, a work colleague who, uh, there's a little bit of friction between us. <laughs> um, I am, part of my job, I'm a business process specialist, so part of my job is training, and then part of my job is documentation. So I write down all of the instructions on this is how to follow the process, and then I make little training videos, or I show up on a call and say, hey everyone, this is how we follow the process. And so I teach everybody, this is what to do. And this particular colleague is somebody who then has to follow these processes. And there's natural friction that occurs between the people who define the process and the people who have to follow the process, because if there are problems with the process, the people who are following it are going to make sure that the person who defines the process knows, and the person who defines the process needs to know. Like, that's important information, because like when you have that kind of specialization, 
where one person is saying, this is what we're going to do, and then another person is going to say, is actually going to do it, like alignment is very important for workplace harmony. So me and this colleague have a lack of workplace harmony, and um, he offered some feedback on uh, the, here are the problems of the training, it's this and this and this, and here are the problems of the documentation. You need to change the way the name is because I can't find this thing. And you see, he, even as I tell this story, I'm like turning him into, into a villain already, like, right? Like, I just like, I just want to like subtly get in there. Like, my entitled colleague, he's criticizing all these things, and he says he can't find it, and he's mad, and he's using a sharp tone, and, and he's upset, and my reaction to this is like very, very unhappy. And I'd like put on my professional pace and take a breath and try to, you know, like talk about how we're going to address concerns. And I try to, like, I just get real vague to try to hide, like, oh, yeah, I'll take that into account. And then I get off the call and I'm angry because, like, like he could do any better anyway. And, like, the training and the documentation is fine. And it's fine, you know. And I kind of, like, storm around my office for a little bit. I work at home so I can, like, stomp over the window and look out at the trees on back over the desk and look at the computer and <laughs> like I have like a very like unproductive uh, this is embarrassing maybe two hours of just like ruminating on like I'm like I'd try to start getting some work done and then I the name isn't wrong the name is fine you just don't pay attention when I tell you where to search you know so like we're having this we're having this fight he has moved on from the fight probably he's like back to work and being responsible but I'm still having this fight like hours later and I, but I've been reading this terrible book that's like focus on yourself. And I'm like, I don't even know what that looks like. What does that look like to focus on myself? So I, um, so I like take a deep breath. And I think like, okay, so he's not me and I'm not him. But we have a relationship and we both offer things to the relationship. And he's offering something to the relationship that I don't like and I can't change that. What am I offering to this relationship? And I took some time and I prayed. I think you should pray at work. If you're not praying at work, I bet your job will get better. Um, so I prayed a little bit, and I felt like Jesus like did not really let me off the hook the way that I was really hoping for. Like the prayer kind of starts with like, Lord, like you need to. <laughs> Those prayers never go well. You, they never get answered. God, you need to do this. You need to change him, and he needs to apologize to me. You need to convict him of his sin of criticism of me, <laughs> and and like, you know, crickets. Like so that didn't go anywhere. And then I really think about this, like, okay, so the training, like, and the documentation, like, I guess I'm thinking about it, and I think, like, well, his criticism about the documentation, like, the name is good, and he just didn't know where to search one time. But the training, I do actually think the training videos are kind of bad. Like, there's some rambling, and there were a few times we just, like, videoed a call, and we told everybody later, just watch this call where we talk about this thing, but there's a lot of extra information on there, and I have been wanting to redo it. And the reason why I'm really hurting about this is because I do need to redo this. Like, I, I agree with him that the training is bad. Oh, no. And then I realized, like, one of the reasons I'm so mad at him is because he's, like, hit, like, this tender spot where, like, there is this work that I produce that I'm not super proud of and I want to do a better job at. And he's identified it as such, and it really, it really goes deep. But this other thing about the name of the documentation, I think he's wrong. Like, we can disagree. And, like, I can, I can just kind of, I feel much calmer about that. I'm like, well, we can just disagree. And I can say, well, here's how the tree works. There you go. And so then in the coming weeks, I then redid the training. I talked to my boss about it, and she gave me time to work on it, and I changed it. And I felt a lot better. And it was, it was really, like, I don't know how to describe it other than to say, like, this miraculous thing happened where this guy doesn't bother me so much anymore. 
because he had criticized the thing and I was reacting in this immature way because I, I kind of felt found out. Like I didn't like that he had noticed that like there was something out there that wasn't so good. And then when I, but like the reason that hurt so bad is because I agreed with him. And then I fixed the thing and it actually had nothing to do with him. And now I can even go back to that conversation and think like, was he maliciously trying to criticize or was he just like wanting good things for the team and the company and like pointing that out, you know? And the thing is, is that like, I don't actually know the answer to that question. Like a lot of times in sermons we say, um, assume the best about the other person, you know? But like, we don't even have to assume the best about him. Either he was maliciously trying to find a horrible thing that I had done and criticized it in a really mean way because he doesn't like me, or he had constructive criticism to offer because he wanted the best for the team and he wanted the new person who was gonna join to have good training. But either way, my response is the same. Like Jesus' answer to me is the same. Whether somebody's being malicious in their relationship with you or unhealthy or immature, or they're being really mature and it's just your own silly response, like in, in both cases, I'm not gonna be able to change him either way. In both cases, focusing on myself will bring an improvement to this relationship. So that was a really big deal. Okay, so. Now it's very important for us to take an emotional break and talk about Star Trek. So we're all still growing up, and this is Benjamin Sisko. Um, <laughs> if you like Deep Space Nine, then you'll know this because it's season one, episode one. If you haven't watched Deep Space Nine yet, don't worry about spoilers, because season one, episode one, it's been out for like 25 years. You've still got time. I'm not going to ruin anything for you, um, I promise. But this is one of my favorite moments in all of science fiction, because science fiction can do things... Um, like, because they just, like, use symbols and they can just, like, like, create impossible situations. And in doing so, can talk about some things that maybe are really real in our lives, but we don't have as good of tools to talk about because they just, just like, the water we swim in and it's hard to identify. Okay, so Cisco and his colleague, Lieutenant Jadzia Dax, and you, it's very important for you to know her full name and her title, um, they uh, are going on a trip let's call it, because I don't want to spoil anything for you. And at one point, they get out of their ship. It's called a runabout. And Cisco walks out of the ship, and this is what he sees. He sees this terrible storm. And the lights are a little bit bright, so it's a little bit difficult to see, but it's like we're on a rock face. There are like jagged cliffs everywhere. Lightning is flashing, and thunder is booming, and we have arrived in like a dark, scary place. And then Jadzia walks out of the runabout, and she looks, and she sees this. She sees there's, there's Commander Cisco, and he's walked down this grassy knoll, and the birds are tweeting, and the sun is shining, and there are trees everywhere. Something is afoot. It is science fiction. And so uh, here's Cisco, and he's scowling around, trying to peer through this beautiful sunny day with butterflies and flowers, and he looks very crabby right there. And Jadzia walks up and says, isn't this so beautiful? And Cisco turns around and is like, uh, you've got a strange eye for beauty, Dax. <laughs> Don't you see the storm? Don't you see the cliff face? Like, what is going on in this scary place that we've arrived? And Jadzia says, um, you know, he sees her standing in the sleigh. She says, it's as clear as a summer's day. And the two of them have a little bit of conflict. Some other things happen. The show's great. I think it's one of the best of the Star Treks, but we can, we can agree to disagree and stay connected in community. That's okay. Um, if you disagree with me, that's all right. Um, but the, just like the different perspectives that they both have as they walk through this thing. And it's really neat the way that the scene works because, you know, anytime he's talking, like they cut to like his perspective and he's looking at her in this dark, stormy, 
scary planet, and she's looking at him scowling around on like this really beautiful, like, I want to have my wedding here, I want to build a house, I want to raise my kids, like this is a nice place to be, we're safe, it's fine. And I think the reality of this, when I, I, oftentimes I think of this scene, when I am in conflict with another person, maybe a lot of times it's my husband, because he is very optimistic, Jed Ziadax kind of a character, and I am a very cynical Commander Cisco when it comes to our conflict, and I bring my storm with me. And so Josh will say something, and I will react like, are you insane? Like, what, uh, can, I can't believe that you have said this threatening thing, or that you've brought up this awful conflict between us. And he's kind of like, you know my husband, he's just like, what? You know, like, it's good, we can talk about this. And we have that kind of a conflict. This happened with me and my colleague as well. Maybe he's having a bright, sunshiny day, saying, hey, I think we need to change the name of this. I think we need to spiff up this video. Things could be good for the team. And I'm like, the rain is beating against my face, and the tree just got struck by lightning, and a fire has started, and like earthquakes and snakes. And you know, like I'm having this whole emotional reaction because of insecurity that lives in me that may or may not have anything to do with my colleague. Like, you know? Even more possible is we actually both have storms, like we both bring storms with us, but they're different storms. Like I come with all of my insecurity or my concerns or my sinful habits or the ways I've let myself down and I know I've let others down. And then my colleague comes with all of his insecurities and all of his storms, all of his you know, ways he's let people down. And then we try to have a conversation about something rational and unemotional. What should the title of this page on our company wiki be, that should not be a fight. We shouldn't fight over the name of a page. It's the name of a page. But we find ourselves, you know, going back and forth because we're both reacting to all of this other stuff that's kind of inside of us. So uh, self-awareness is critical for emotional and relational growth. Having an understanding of the storm that I, that I am or the storm that I bring with me and being able to recognize that and deal with my storm, deal with my plank, deal with my stuff, is a way that I can help make the environment of our relationship much healthier, even with the limitation that I'm not gonna change you and I never will, will be able to. So um, I can tell you another story. This one's about me and Josh. Um, you know, like, I, cause I, like, for me as I'm reading this book, I feel like I read a story, oh look, Josh came in just in time. <laughs> Let's talk about our marriage. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so I'm reading through this book, and she'll give an example of, like, here's how a person focused on themselves and improved their relationship. And I'll read through it, and I'll be like, yeah, that's really good. Wait, what? <laughs> you know? And then, like, I'll get to, like, the next story, and I'll read through, like, the, how this person, like, they wanted to, like, change the other person, but instead they focused on their stuff, and they improved their relationship. And I say, yeah, that's really good. What? <laughs> like, what did I just read? How would I? I don't know how to do that. So let me give you another story just in case you're like, yeah, that's good. Wait, what do I do? Um, so with me and Josh, so uh, I know you're probably thinking, like, Josh is so wonderful. How could you possibly want to change him, Kara? There's nothing to be changed. He's so, he's so, and he is. And you guys can think that because you've never seen him try to fold a towel. It's, it's not good. 16 years, I've aggressively coached him on a towel folding, and progress has been very slow. <laughs> you can't change him. Um, no, no, in all seriousness, like, he's got his problems, I've got mine. Oh my gosh, a fist bump over the towel, over the towel folding. It was good support. <laughs> um, anyway, 
uh, we do we do both have our problems, right? Like we both have like our issues, and I can shout sometimes. He can, you know, like not maybe fall through on a thing. Like we just we have all of the conflicts that married people have. And um, and so a couple months ago, I asked him to do a thing. And Josh didn't do the thing, and we suffered a negative consequence, like you do. And I we talked about it, and I probably I think I yelled. I'm sorry again. And um, and he recognized the significance of the thing that he didn't do and the resulting negative consequence, and he apologized, and I apologized for yelling, and we're back to marital bliss, right? So the thing about this negative consequence, though, is that like we'll keep feeling this just a little bit, like it'll slowly ebb away, but for a while, like we still have to kind of just deal with, like, oh, we didn't do that thing in time, and so now we have to go through this pain. I'm keeping you really vague on purpose, not just to protect my husband and myself, but also like I want you to be able to plug in your own things, okay? Like what's the thing that you asked somebody to do and they didn't do? What's the negative consequence that you have to, you have to experience because your friend or your coworker or your spouse or your child or your parent just didn't do, isn't acting the way that you want them to act? So anyway, so we've already resolved the whole thing. Still seeing a little bit of the negative consequence. I'm like putting on my makeup and I'm starting to think about like this negative consequence. And we still have to go through this. And I asked him, like, I didn't do anything wrong. I told him to do that thing. And he said he would do it. And then he didn't do it. And this is what's happening. And I'm, like, putting on too much blush and too much bronzer as I'm, like, getting, like, increasingly agitated, thinking about, like, this isn't. And you know what? And it's, like, the morning, like, we've gotten the kids off to school, and he's going to leave for work in a minute. And I think, like, we need to talk about this again, you know? And I just feel like God is teaming up with Jenny Brown and reminding me of this book I've read. I'm like, okay, wait. I'm not supposed to focus. Okay, wait. He's him. I'm me. We're not the same. I can't change him, there, I can, but I can contribute something different to the relationship. Normally, I would contribute to the relationship. Hey, we need to talk about this thing again. And do you remember how I told you to do that thing? And if you had done it, we wouldn't feel this way right now, would we? And we just have to live with that. And like, that's what I would normally do. That's what I would normally do. I'm sorry, God. Like, I'm so sorry. That's what I would normally do. And, um, but instead... So I could do something different, and I'm trying to be different than that. Like, this is how slow my mind is going. Like, I can't think of, like, what else, like, what other option is there but to go with my now, like, clown makeup face angry at my husband and say, you did that thing, remember? I'm thinking of it again. We need to talk about it again. So, okay, so something different is I could, I could not talk to him about it this morning. I could not, I could not say anything. That is way outside of my expertise, the not saying anything. I'm like a talker. I'm a sharer. I'm open. I like to share my thoughts. So I'm going to not, I'm going to not say, I'm going to focus on the plank in my eye. What is the plank in my eye? The speck in my eye. Okay, fine. Don't get distracted, Kara. Okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to think about this, like, what would actually change if I did talk to him about it? Nothing. We can't go back and fix it. He has already apologized. So what am I trying to accomplish by like thinking about this again and thinking about how I should like making a plan to talk to him again? And I realize it's that like I'm just feeling uncomfortable and I'm feeling anxious and I'm feeling like like just like lots of discomfort, like prickles and, and frustration. And if I pick a fight with Josh right now, I can put it on him to calm me down again. I'm having a really hard time calming myself down, but if I go pick a fight, one, now we're fighting, which is like a weird kind of closeness. He's paying attention to me. And he can reassure me all over again that he is sorry, he does recognize there's a problem, it won't happen again, we'll work on it, da-da-da-da-da. And the thing I'm supposed to do instead is I'm supposed to calm myself down. 
I'm not supposed to rely on the other person in the relationship to calm me down. I'm supposed to work on calming myself down. What can I do to calm myself down? I have no idea. I can wash my face and start over with my makeup. I can take some deep breaths. I could tell God about this problem. And so then I didn't say anything. In fact, Josh still doesn't know what the conflict is. I told him, I was, I was like, okay, I'm going to tell this story, and this is how I'm going to tell it. But I, it was like about a thing I didn't do, so you don't know what happened. He still doesn't know what the thing is. Um, and, and we've been married a long time, so who knows, you know? Um, <laughs> I'm just realizing, like, the unintended consequence now. of <laughs> like, please don't go through the library of everything we've ever resolved. Sorry. <laughs> but... <laughs> But I didn't do the thing, and okay, and this is a total spoiler and a, and a real shock, but like, I didn't do the thing. He went to work, I went to work. I started to calm down. This was earlier this week, and you guys, like the world is still spinning. Like existence, we didn't just all poof out of existence. Nothing exploded. Like life just went on, and that's all. Like we didn't have a fight, and, and I calmed down, and then everything, everything's fine. Everything is fine now. Isn't that weird? I did, not, I did not know that that would be the outcome because I don't think I've ever resisted picking a fight when I wanted to pick a fight. I, like, this is a real weakness. And so remember how I go back to the very beginning, like relationships give us an environment in which we can grow. This is an ideal environment for growth because they point out these gaps. If I was just by myself all the time in no relationships, I wouldn't know how bad I am at not picking a fight with a person when I want to pick a fight. So just not picking that fight. That, for me, is what it looks like to address the plank in my eye. And then when it gets to like, and then you can better help the other person with the speck in their eye. You know, well, let's turn this all around. Like Josh puts up with a lot of stuff for me too, right? Like I've got all of my like patterns of sin and, and all of those kinds of problems too. Like, I mean, maybe you've noticed I'm like a little bit fat. Let's call it, let's say a little bit. <laughs> and I struggle with my weight. And I struggle with food and like, do I have binge eating disorder? Or was I traumatized as a child? Do I just have bad habits? Is this like the sin of gluttony? Or like I just have a sweet tooth and it's like not that big of a deal? I've been through like all of these different definitions for like what is going on with me and my weight, my relationship with food. And I've talked to therapists and I've gone to programs and I've done every diet and all this stuff. And it's like a big source of stress for me. And because Josh is married to me, <laughs> I'm often turning to him to like calm me down, right? Like this is like a, so it becomes a source of stress for him too. And he's gotten really good and really kind and really supportive. And the times that I have had the most progress and the times when I've just been the happiest and the times when I've thrived the most and made the most progress in like my own just challenges with my own weaknesses are the times when he's gracious and patient and when he really takes the pressure off. And when we focus on the plank in our own eye, <clears throat> we get better at being gracious and compassionate and patient and, and making room for other people to, to deal with the, the plank in their eye. Josh hasn't fixed me. I don't think he ever will. It would be, I mean, that would, if you can, please do, because <laughs> I would like to wear a size smaller of clothes. But, um, but I, I, like, he's not going to be able to, but he can be so helpful by just like doing all of that fruit of the spirit stuff, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We were talking about this the other day. Gentleness, I feel like there's such a misnomer, this word gentleness, because like gentleness costs. Like you've got to be a mighty person to be able to sustain gentleness to those around you. But when you offer gentleness into that relationship, it changes the environment in the relationship, and the other person adapts to being treated gently. 
and it makes more room for the other person also to thrive, which is what we wanted back at the beginning of this, right? So when I'm not gentle, and when I bring the fight, and when I pick the fight, and when I say it's your job to calm me down for this thing that we've already resolved, like, I don't make any space at all for Josh to make an improvement, you know? But when I just don't pick the fight, now there's some room, you know? And whether or not he improves or not, I can't control that, but I find that I am at so much more peace, and I am experiencing so much more of God's presence by recognizing, like, focus on the plank in my own eye. And this is just such a huge part of emotional maturity. So, um, so what can we do? Like, if we just get it down to, like, some steps, doesn't everybody like a step? How can we improve our relationships? How can we grow? The first is to slow down and to breathe deep. And this is actually, like, this is a, like, you'll find a million YouTubes of psychologists saying, take deep breaths, because it makes, like, a physical change in your body. We have, we're making hormones all the time. We're making stress hormones and fight-or-flight hormones and adrenaline, and we have all these different, but they're, they're good hormones, too, like dopamine and serotonin and things that, like, help us to chill. And just slowing down our breath, just taking a deep breath in, and then holding it for a second, and then taking a deep breath out. Your colleague on the Zoom call doesn't even have to know you're doing it. Your spouse doesn't even have to know you're doing it. Your kid definitely is not going to notice that you're doing it. But if you find yourself in conflict, just slowing down our breathing, God gave us some of these little toggles in our body that we can toggle in order to get to a better place, and slow, deep breathing is a, is a button we can push to help us get out of this, like, anxious, stressed out, uncomfortable place where the temptation is to blame the other person and say, it's your responsibility to calm me down. And puts us kind of back in the driver's seat where I can say, you know, it's my job to calm myself down. Like I'm an adult and a part of maturity is I regulate my own emotions. I can calm myself down. So that's the first one. Something that goes really well with this is um, when we do breath prayer. And this is something we do upstairs with the kids a lot. Um, if uh, it's also uh, like a parenting hack, if you've got little kids and they're not going to sleep, um, this one can be really helpful. We say, let's pray, and they're all ready to like recite the Lord's Prayer or something, and I'm like, no, 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 let's do a different kind of a prayer, a sneaky mommy prayer, where we're going to breathe in, and we're going to say, God, you're here, and then we're going to breathe out, and we're going to say, and I am with you. And we do that over and over. God, you're here, and I am with you. And it's hard to make noises when you're breathing, and it's hard to pick on your brother when you're, you know, we're praying, it's serious. You can put anything you want into that inhale and the exhale. I've seen some great resources online that it's like, um, like a confession almost, or like asking for help, like it's like saying like, God, I'm overwhelmed, and I trust you to provide for me, you know? Or like, God, I feel really scared, but you're not scared of anything. You know, and just like saying like something maybe that's true about ourselves, and then and then reminding ourselves, and 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 just like declaring back to God like something that's true of Him, that can be really helpful. So I really like breath prayer for this a lot. Um, it'll also help you with your blush application, so you won't look like a clown. Um, okay. So um, then the second one that I really recommend, and this one is hard to do in the moment, like if you're in conflict with somebody, but if you have time to go off by yourself. Um, this is something that I stumbled on by accident one time, and I think it's the, just like the best kind of way to prayer, which is to tell the story to God like he has no idea what's going on. So, like, and I even, like, imagine God, like, sitting on the couch 
which I know some people are like, oh, you know, don't try to imagine God, you get confused or, you know, whatever. But, like, it helps me to, like, sit and, like, look at an empty chair. And then, like, I just start from the beginning. So often my prayer life, like, from when I was a kid, would be like, God, you already know everything already anyway. And, like, I'm mad, can you fix it? Please help. And it kind of just all fall flat. You know what I mean? Like, my prayer, like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't really feel like it had any teeth in it. And I wouldn't really know... Like, I didn't, I don't walk away from that feeling like, like, I would often walk away feeling like, I don't even know if that did anything. Nothing just happened. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how any of this works. But when I do this, when I tell God the story like he has no idea what's going on, um, and if you really struggle with it, you might even start by, like, imagine telling this to somebody that you, that you love and respect but you haven't seen for a while. So, like, if you haven't, like, talked to your mom on the phone lately and you have a good relationship with your mom or, like, if you have, like, a best friend from college or, or even somebody, like, just, like, just as a way of, like, thinking, like, well, if I were to tell this to, like, you know, my best friend from high school who I haven't seen in 10 years, I would start by saying, there's this guy at work. My job is training and documentation. And there's this guy at work who doesn't like my training and documentation, you know? And, like, just, like, having to, like, start back at those basics. And that kind of gives you, like, a little head start so you can say, okay, God, so there's this guy at work. And he doesn't like how I'm doing training and documentation. So that, that's, like, a thing. And just, like talking through it and naming everything out loud or in your head, whichever one it is, I find that, like, this just, like, reveals all of these feelings that I have that maybe I have glossed over in the whole thing. But, like, it was in that moment when I, when I went through this with, in my story with my guy at work, I was telling God, like, he doesn't think my training is good. And I guess I don't really think it's good either, but I haven't had time to make really good training. You know, and that's like, it was just like this moment where God's like, ah, now we're getting to it. You know, like this hurts because he said you didn't do a good thing and you don't think you did a good thing either. And then like I can kind of get to, like I can hear God's voice saying like, your worth and your value is not dependent on how good of a job you do at your job. And then that gives me the space to say, I could do something constructive about this and improve the training and that would be okay. You know, so anyway, so tell the story to God like he has no idea what's been going on. And then ask God to guide your words, actions, and response. So this one's a little harder because there's like that submission thing. You know, at first you just tell the story from your perspective however you want. But then just invite God to say, you know, sometimes, maybe even ask God like, am I wrong? <laughs> I think that's a great way to, to focus on the plank in our eye is to say, Jesus, do I have a plank in my eye? <laughs> I am unaware. I am, I'm not aware of this. Like, am I wrong? Or like, help me, like, I don't know what to do next. What should I do next? And just even these open-ended things, and then we just pay attention to our thoughts. A lot of times God talks to us by having a thought occur to us, and it maybe doesn't feel like some huge supernatural moment, you know what I mean? Like, I always think of, like, you know, Robin Williams, like, pretending a God voice, like, no, don't smoke, you know, he's like, what would God sound like if he talked to you? And I just think that, like, God chuckles at that, too, but doesn't talk to us that way. Like, he's not doing, like, a little voice. He's just gonna, like, help, like, you, help it occur to you that, like, here's an action that I could take that actually would fix this, and it would be different, you know? God makes the thought occur to me of, like, you could not pick the fight with Josh. That's the other option. <laughs> like, God, what is the other option? You could not do the thing that you're planning on doing. And I think it can be just as simple as that. And then the last one on how to grow, the last tip is don't disconnect. So, so often in our relationships, um, the it feels like the solution will be more distance. It feels like the solution will be to run away. Like, I'm uncomfortable. This environment of our relationship is uncomfortable. 
I'm just going to pull back. I'm going to take my ball and my bat, and I'm going to go home. It's kind of like the ultimate protest in a relationship, right? Just to say, like, I don't need this. I don't want to do anything. I, just, I can just leave. I'm just going to leave. I don't have to be a part of this. And I think that I feel like increasingly I'm seeing in myself and in my peers that, like, we do have friendships that have been broken over the years that it's like, yeah, like, I used to be friends with that person and I used to be friends with that person and we just either we broke up or we lost touch. But, like... Now I don't, now I look up and I, like it's, I have a much smaller group of people that I'm friends with now, you know, or I have a much smaller group of people that I confide with in now because Satan is always going to tell us that just cutting people out is the answer because Christian community, the thing that Jesus is calling us to all the time is unity, not uniformity. We don't all have to think exactly the same things. We don't all have to look alike. We don't have to be alike. It's not a race to who can be the most look like this cookie-cutter Christian. But unity, where we can say, I disagree with you, but let's stay together. We don't get along about this. Maybe even, I'm going to say it, maybe even we vote differently. But let's stay together because I still love you and I care about you. And you're more valuable than the vote that you cast that I disagree with. You're more valuable than your stance on this political issue. You're more valuable than the argument that we're having about who got credit for work things. You're more valuable than the mistake that you made that I'm having a hard time getting over. It's worth the effort. And I think that's the thing Jesus is just calling the church to. The heartbeat of Christ is this including and inviting and bringing people in and making a home where we're all together. And maybe we're not getting along perfectly and we're not going to like i mean not like we're gonna die first and this is perfectly going to be achieved in heaven we're never going to have like this is my perfect church and we all have the perfect view on everything and we see it the same way and we're all doing it exactly right that's just it's never going to happen but the thing that jesus calls us to is not that perfection he calls us to that place of saying I value each other. I value my Christian brothers and sisters. I value those outside of faith more than I am angry about whatever conflict we have. And that's what, that's what we're doing here. Like, that's why we do church. That's why we come together. It, it says in the Old Testament, like, so often, well, in the New Testament even, like, we, we're Christ, we bear Christ's image. I had this amazing sermon one time by... Um, a woman named Cherith Nordlingfi, she's uh, uh, or Cherith C. Nordling, she's Gordon Fee's daughter, and she's a mighty theologian in her own right. And she talked about how, like, you know, you'd see these Babylonian gods and Egyptian gods, and they would make an image of the god, and it would be made out of wood or stone, it'd be carved, and they'd make ears because they wanted their gods to hear them, and they'd make eyes because they wanted their gods to see them, and they'd make mouths because they wanted their gods to speak and give direction. And, um, you know, there's this one, I feel like he's called Dragos, but now I'm like, that can't be the right name. But it's like, he keeps falling over. Like, like the people, the, the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence is in the presence of this, like, image of this bad God, probably a demon, spiritual power of darkness. And the thing keeps bowing down to God. Like, it's weird. It's like this weird story in the Old Testament where, like, you have, like, God's presence and the presence of these other things, of these other, anyway, okay, I'm just geeking out about how cool I think the Old Testament is sometimes, but here's the point. When God makes an image of himself, it's not made out of wood or stone. It's us, like the image of God walking around on the earth has flesh and bone and blood, 
and we have eyeballs with lenses and corneas and light gets reflected into them and we have ears that have all kinds of crazy little parts inside them that help us balance even in addition to hearing and we have hearts that pump blood all over our bodies and we can like do all kinds of wonderful things we can walk around and we can build things and we can love each other and we can throw parties and we can eat incredible meals and we can share our lives with each other and we can share God's love with others. And that's what Jesus looks like. Like Jesus isn't content to have some inanimate statue of himself. He says, if you want to bear my image, like I need a person to bear my image. And as we go around and the more that we pursue unity with each other and the more that we pursue emotional maturity ourselves in order to protect that unity, like that's the best kind of evangelism. That's the kind of communicating to others like this is what God's love is, is we stay together even through conflict because we recognize the value in each other and I recognize that you're bearing Christ's image to me and I'm bearing Christ's image to you. And as we bear that image together, we do so more effectively when we're in unity with one another and when we don't disconnect, even when it gets hard. So would you stand? We're going to take some time to pray. Phil's going to come up and have um, sing another song, lead us in another song, and we can worship God together. And um, if any of this has resonated with you, if you're thinking about a, a relationship that you're in conflict in, um, you can come up and get prayer about it this morning. Someone will put their hand on your shoulder, and guess what? You'll tell them the story as if they have no idea what's going on. And then they will help you go to God and ask for guidance for your words and your actions and, and your response and how to respond to this. So let's see what God wants to do this morning, and um, let's sing his praises. Oh, maybe I'll pray. I'll pray, and then we'll do this. Lord, <laughs> thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for everything you're doing in our lives and in our relationships. God, I ask that you would have your way this morning. And whether that's during prayer like right now, or if this is something that we remember, you know, 10 days from now when we're getting ready to pick a fight or when we're, you know, just blaming ourselves incessantly or doing something else that's not emotionally healthy. God, I just ask that you would change us, that you would just let your presence flow through us, and that you would give us all of the relief and the peace that comes with being in unity with you and in unity with each other. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Okay, let's see.